Welcome to the Modern Mommy Dog Podcast. I'm Dr. Whitney Caceres. I'm a full-time pediatrician and a full-time modern mom. I speak and write about equipping mamas to raise resilient, healthy children and to invest in their own social-emotional health along the way. Each week, we'll give you the practical tools you need to win at parenting without losing yourself. All right, you guys. Hello and welcome to Dr. Corb. Thank you so much for being on the podcast today. I really appreciate it. My pleasure. It's great to be here. Yeah. Okay. So let's start out by having you tell listeners who you are, what you do, and basically why you do it. I'm a developmental behavioral pediatrician. I see kids every day. They come to me for a whole array of reasons, whether it's attention issues, anxiety, autism, learning difficulties, behavior problems. And the reasons they come to me, though, even though they they say it's because of autism or social issues, it all seems to be executive functions. So I wrote this book because I wanted to come up with simple, basic steps that parents could take to help build executive functions in their children from infancy all the way through adolescence. Yeah, so important. And I think really important to come from an expert in the field versus from some like article somewhere that was written by someone who's not an expert, right? <laughs> There's a lot of information out there that's not exactly true for parents. It's overwhelming how much is out there. And, and really, uh, when we're talking about organized thinking, and that's what we're talking about. We're not just talking about finding two socks that match or remembering to turn in your homework. We're talking about being able to solve problems, to get the big picture, to take perspective, to show insight, to anticipate. That kind of organizational thinking skills can be taught using five simple steps. Okay, so let's break it down. Let's go through the steps because this is really the crux of your book. And I think they sound simple, but they're monumental in how they can change someone's life. So go ahead, break it down for us. So step one is be consistent. Step two is introduce order. Number three, give everything a place. Four, practice forward thinking. That's like anticipating or estimating. And the number five is to promote problem solving. Let kids solve problems for themselves. Mm -hmm. Do you feel like, because, you know, I'm in, I'm in general pediatrics. I see kids every day for their physicals, for their colds, for all those things. And in my experience, the promoting problem solving is one of the hardest things for parents to sometimes wrap their minds around or to have maybe the time or the energy to do. Do you see that as something that's really a challenge for parents? I think for all parents, all of us, you know, fear sometimes, unfortunately, dictates what we do. And so we make choices out of fear. I'm afraid my child is not going to get a date. I'm afraid my child is not going to make it to college. My, I'm afraid my child is going to live with me forever. Mm -hmm. And so we do everything we can to help them in the moment without thinking about that big picture, the long run. And the long run is for your child to launch successfully, they need to be able to figure things out for themselves and they need to be able to solve problems. And so rescuing your child in the short term isn't often the best thing to do in the long term. Yes, absolutely. Preach. Yes. <laughs> no, it, it is true. And I think it's hard, especially, I mean, I have a three-year-old and I have a six-year-old, right? It's especially hard, I think, in those really young 
years where maybe if you're not at the place where you can be mindful about thinking about how a two and a half year old or a three and a half year old's mind works, that their lids, you know, metaphorical lids kind of easily flip, that they can get easily angry, that it's kind of our job as parents to understand what their developmental stage is, take that with a grain of salt, but then still not solve the problems for them and walk them through how to do maybe little micro changes, or I think you call it the backward chaining. Like that maybe they can't do all of it, but they can do some of it. So, you know, one of, one of the things you just said is, is at their developmental level. And I think that that's the way I wrote this book is I wanted people to realize that even though we're seven, we may have the organizational skills of a four-year-old, or we may have the organizational skills of a nine-year-old. And our, our job as parents, no matter what we're talking about, is to figure out our child's level and to push them from that point forward. If we hold them to age-expected levels, it can be really frustrating for some kids because they, they're just not there yet. And yeah. so what I try to do is I talk about in this book what, what's expected from an infant in terms of organization, what's expected from a toddler, a preschooler, a school-age child, a kindergartner, a, a teenager, so that parents can figure out where their child's at and then move them forward. Meeting their child exactly where they are, but then not letting them stay right there, helping them to right. move forward. Yeah. No, I love that. And do you find that we're seeing more and more 13-year-olds that have the developmental state of a six-year-old. I mean, do you think there are factors in our world that are making that happen? Or do you think that's just everybody's different? This is just the way of the world. So, you know, it's hard for me to say there's more than there was 20 years ago, because I think 20 years ago, I wasn't surveying it as closely as I am now. What I can say is there's a lot of kids going off to college that are less prepared for life than there used to be. There's a lot of kids who go off and don't know how to set their alarm clock or don't know how to schedule things. And I, you know, I, I, I'm sure there's a lot of factors, but I worry about how much time kids spend on social media and electronics, which aren't necessarily bad things, but they take away from all the good things they could have been doing instead. Yeah, it's they are spending that time on the social media, on their TVs. They're not spending the time actually being bored, right? <laughs> being bored. We talk about being bored in the book. Yeah, absolutely. There's great value in learning how to solve the problem of boredom. And these days we rescue them from boredom all the time. We don't let them struggle. We stick a phone in front of their face if they have to wait 15 minutes for a, a restaurant to seat them. We don't let kids just sit there and figure out what are all the things I could be doing right now? Mm -hmm. Because that's big picture thinking, to be able to think of what are the possibilities? What are the things I could create? What are the things that I could imagine? What are the things I could do when my friend was over? Right. That's, that's solving boredom. Yeah, absolutely. And I wonder, I mean, I've talked with you know child psychologists about this. For some parents, especially working parents, I know that when I go out with my kids, it is it has to be a conscious choice to make them be bored or to solve problems <laughs> so that I don't focus just on enjoying the experience, you know? <laughs> you must you must be better than me because I think my kids are often bored when they go out with me. <laughs> Well, no, I mean, I have to make the conscious decision like, okay, I am going to allow you to be bored, even if that means to be more disruptive and I won't enjoy my meal as much, you know? Sure, fair enough, <laughs> like, fair enough. Yeah. yeah, and I think a lot of working moms are that way where it's like maybe they have less bandwidth, they don't have a ton of time within their day with their kids. And so it's tempting to have the time with their kids go perfectly well or their kids get ready as fast as possible instead of letting them learn how to get organized on their own or teaching them the skills that they need for that long-term health, right? Mental health. 
And we're not saying abandon your kids and say, you know, have at it, figure out how to get to school tomorrow. Sure. We're, we're, we're figuring out where they're at. So I like to use the example of packing. Packing for a vacation. We all go on vacation sometimes. For a first grader, it might be appropriate to have a list of all the possible things that they could bring and sit down with them and say, I think you need three of these and four of those and two of these and five of these and one of those, and then let them go pull those items from their closet. For a third grader, it might be appropriate to say, here's the list of all the things you could possibly bring on vacation. Write down how many of each of these things you think you need. And they go through and they write three of these, two of these, four of those, five of these. And you say, wait, how many underwear do you think you need? And, and you help them figure that out. And then they go pick out the closet. For a seventh grader, you might say, here's the list of all the things you could possibly bring. Good luck packing. I'll check and see if you got everything when you're done. And so we give them increasing amounts of independence, but we scaffold it along the way. We make it so that it's age appropriate. We're not leaving them to their own devices. We're giving them the coaching that they need. We're keeping them safe. Absolutely. Yeah. And Mm -hmm. you talk about that in your book and, and I've seen you talk about that in interviews about really moving from, you know, in my world, I talk sometimes about like, if you're on the soccer team with your kid, if you imagine that, and that maybe at first you're on the team with the kid, you're moving down the field with them. Sometimes you're even carrying them down the field. You're definitely passing the ball to them. And then you move to maybe being on the sidelines and you're the coach. And then you move to being like a mentor or even just like a fan or a cheerleader in the stands. I use that as a metaphor in that our job when we have a school age child is kind of the coach. We're the coach, whether we're playing sports or whether whether they're doing homework. We're kind of calling the plays. This is how you do math. This is what I want you to do first. We're going to come home from school. We're going to do homework. You call the plays. But by the time they're in middle school, you're not the coach anymore. You're the general manager. And the general manager's job is to step back and take a big look at the direction the team is headed. And you might say, looks like the team needs to be spending more time on homework these days. Or it looks like the team needs to spend a little more time on hygiene these days. So that we're talking about (laughs) the direction, but we're not saying take a shower now. We're not saying brush your teeth now like we were doing when they're younger. Mm -hmm. By the time they're in high school, what we're doing is we've become a consultant, so our job as the consultant is to say, hey, I'm here if, I, if, if you need me. Let me know if you need any help. And we step back and we let them kind of take the lead. So we have to be figuring out how to move ourselves out of the equation from the time that they're very young all the way until they're launching in adolescence. Yeah, no, I think that's so good. I think that's absolutely like moving back in small inches. I think about myself just like taking small mini steps away from my children in a backward direction. <laughs> right. You know? Yeah, right. absolutely. Okay, so since this is a show that mostly is, you know, moms and working moms, but moms in general who are listening to the show, How can moms and dads, but moms, model organizing (laughs) for their kids? (laughs) How can can we organize our homes and kind of simplify our homes and lives so that there's less chaos, so that it's easier for our child's brain to learn to be an organized thinker? Or does that matter? The easiest way to address this is to talk about giving everything a place. So that's just step three. It's just one of the steps. It's not necessarily the most important steps, but if I was going to start somewhere in terms of my house, Mm -hmm. I might just say, let's give everything a place. When kids come home, this is where their jackets go. Their shoes go over here and their backpack goes over there. This is the food. This is the shelf on the fridge where you can pull snacks that are healthy for you. 
everything kind of has a place because what it does is it gives a child a sense that spatial recognition is important. And we use our spatial skills for a number of things. We use our spatial skills when we're reading maps. We use our spatial skills when we're playing with balls. We use our spatial skills when we're trying to memorize things because thinking spatially is a very efficient way of thinking. So from a very early age, even when they're toddlers, everything has a place. This is where we keep your playpen and your stuffed animals. This is where we keep the Johnny jumper in the doorway. This is where we keep your balls. And so they start to recognize that there's zones in the house and they start to think spatially. That's the, the first thing. If I had to start somewhere with a child who is not an infant, that's where I would start. If I was starting in terms of teaching organizational skills, I start with step one and that's be consistent. Be consistent with everything. Be consistent with your routines. So this is bedtime. This is what we do. And, and we try not to make exceptions. And when there's exceptions, we explain why it's an exception. Otherwise, they're going to say, hey, you let me do it last time. Consistent with our boundaries, consistent with safety rules, consistent with everything that we do that makes it so much easier as they get older if you start off being consistent when they're young. Yeah. I, I want to unpack that a tiny bit about how that works also when there's maybe two parents that are outside of the home, when there's like a village that's helping to raise your child, right? You might have grandparents that are involved or a sitter or a nanny or a dad or a mom. How can whole family villages come together, do you think, to be consistent? I mean, I think it's imp incredibly important for the communication to be there, for everybody to be having some maybe family meetings around, this is what we're doing. <laughs> so we're all on the same page. Have you found that to be really important in your work? Everything works best when everyone's on the same page. Everything is easier when everyone's on the same page. The first step are the parents. If dad comes home and roughhouses and gets them all excited and it's time for bed and mom's been winding them down all night, getting them ready for bed, it totally defeats what mom's doing. And all of a sudden it's fun when dad comes home and not fun when mom's there. We mm -hmm. have to kind of figure out how to be on the same page with everything. Now it gets harder when both parents are working and grandparents are doing you a favor and they're watching the kids during the day, but you still have to communicate, not just tell them what to do, but tell them why it's important to you that they do it so that grandparents who may have done an excellent job raising you, but differently, can understand why you're doing what you're doing. It gets even trickier, gosh, when parents are divorced because now you have two different homes and you do the best you can to be on the same page, but it doesn't always work out. But even if you are that single parent, you still are consistent, consistent, consistent. These are the rules. These are the expectations. These are the way things happen when you're at my house. Yes. No, absolutely. And I encourage parents too, if really two parts of a family or even intergenerational issues, if they're on different sides of a page, that they even will set up an appointment to come in with me to talk about things there in the office. Like if they want to hear kind of what are the recommendations, they want it to be all the same, let's sit there and talk about it. We have our dietitian bring in all the members of the family to sit there and hear exactly what her recommendations are and how, you know, the eating should go so that then everyone knows exactly what's going on and maybe takes a little bit of responsibility off of the parent who cares the most about the organization <laughs> and can put it on kind of an expert. I, I found that to sometimes be kind of helpful to get some extra help if you need it, if you're feeling like you're running into a wall with that. Sure. I think that's great. Hi, Mama. Guess what? Our book, The New Baby Blueprint, is out in the world. 
We're so excited because we know it's going to help change the new motherhood experience. The bump said, they say motherhood doesn't come with a manual, but the new baby blueprint comes pretty close. You can find it wherever books are sold or check it out at modernmommydoc.com forward slash book. Okay, so I want to talk a little bit just about our focus on success in America and on academic success. I know I heard on on one of your interviews, one of your sons, I think, goes to MIT, which is awesome. Just, just, and, just know, graduated. <laughs> oh, okay. Awesome. Uh-huh, just, just graduated. Gra- Congratulations. Uh-huh. Thank you and, much. Yeah. And, you know, you work in the, you know, in, in, at, yeah, with Stanford. I've worked at Stanford. I think that's correct. And I went there for my residency program. So, I mean, I think we can all speak to, like, success. I think we can both also speak to the fact that academic success really is not the mark of true life success, right? And that sometimes I think parents think about raising young kids to make it kind of in the school setting, but then miss out on that joy, contentment, resilience, all those other important components of whole person health. So I would love to hear you talk about how teaching organized thinking promotes whole person health, helps promote resilience outside of the classroom in someone's larger life. So you brought up my son from MIT. And what I would say is the reason he was so successful in the classroom is he was tremendous at organized thinking. He was somebody who'd say, you know what? I'm an athlete in high school. I need to go to bed by 10 o'clock in order to get up by 6 o'clock and go in and shoot baskets in the morning. So if I'm going to go to bed at 10 o'clock, I means I need, I, need, I need to be in the shower by 9.30. And if I'm going to be in the shower by 9.30, that means my math is going to take an hour and a half. And he would work backwards and have everything all mapped out. And it was that organization that led him to be so successful. So I think that's the key is helping kids to really be able to step back and see the big picture. And the big picture is not just about academics. The big picture is, you know, some days you got to spend a little extra time with your friend because your friend's not happy. And sometimes you need to be involved in things. You need to get experiences. I have patients that the parents work so hard with the child to make them excellent at school, but at the expense of all of the life experiences that they will need when they move on in life. And, and those life experiences are, you know, include being rejected by friends. You want them to be rejected by friends at some point where they live with you. Because if the first time they ever get rejected is when they're in college, it's going to be much harder for them to deal with. You want them to be able to experience the arguments and the makeups with friends and, and trying to work through and solve problems. Or here's another example. I've coached 20 plus seasons of youth sports. Oh, bless and- you. <laughs> Thank you. And, I, and I'll have parents come up to me and say, my child's not playing enough. And I'll explain to them why they're playing the amount they're playing and, and go through all that. But when my child's not getting as much playtime as I think they deserve, what I say to them is, wow, that's a bummer. You know, how are you going to handle that? What are you going to do about it? Because I want my child to learn how to go talk to the coach themselves. That skill that's the big picture. The, whether they get more playing time when they're in fourth grade has, will have no consequence on the rest of, their, uh, rest of their life. But their ability to go up and ask for help and try to solve a problem and try to work something out with an adult, that's really valuable. Yeah, for sure. You're giving them the skills in those micro situations so that when they get to bigger situations, when they're a lot older, when it counts potentially more, (laughs) that they know what to do or at least know how to deal with it if it doesn't go their way or how to bounce back. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. 
Yeah. So with your son, when you're talking about the little things he does to plan ahead, of course, that's like you said, big picture thinking. Were there also little mini routines that you used with him early on, like in the toddler years, in the elementary school years? Talk to me about that. One of the ways of backing out of your role with your child is to use what I call mini routines. So for example, when they're very little, you might say, I need you, let's brush your teeth now, let's go potty now, let's wash your hands now, let's wash your face now, and you walk them through every step. But that makes them incredibly reliant and dependent on you. In fact, they often kind of just check out and they, they do what they're told, but they're not thinking ahead of what comes next. In order to move to that next step, somehow you need to step out of the equation, but most kids aren't automatically ready for you to just say, okay, go get ready for bed. So I like to create these mini routines. And using the bedtime example, I might say, here's the five things you do in the bathroom. Here's the four things you do in the morning when you get out of bed. Here's the five things you need to do before you walk out the front door. And I create these little mini routines and we actually write it out, the list. And now my job is to say, Go back and look at your bathroom routine. Make sure you did everything. Instead of being on them about their teeth and their their washing their hands and all those steps, it gives them more independence, which by the time they get to middle school, they really, really appreciate. They hate being nagged. And so if I can chunk things into steps of five or six, what I'm able to do is reduce my nagging by 80% because now I'm just reminding them to do one thing instead of five things or six things. That sounds fantastic. You know, actually in my house, we did a similar thing in the morning for my daughter when she went to kindergarten for getting ready because she was notoriously the worst in the morning, not a morning person. She gets it from her mama. And and so we'd be in the morning dragging her out of bed. And then by mm-hmm. the last few minutes before she's supposed to go to school, we'd be like, get your teeth brushed. And it'd be this huge, you know, throw down. Sure. And I'd go to work all anxious. So whatever, by the time I got there. And so her nanny and I created these list that were check boxes that had little boxes, one for every day that she could check it off to, you know, once she got through each task and it'd have five tasks on there, brush your teeth, brush your hair, eat your breakfast, get your clothes on, get your socks and shoes on, and then out the door. And I swear we'd have that thing just taped to the bathroom mirror and -hmm. I would see her just go in there, look at it, come back out, go in there, look at it, come back (laughs) out. It was like a magic fairy came to my house. It was so awesome. (laughs) Because before you learn that skill, one thing doesn't automatically cue the next. And, And being able to see it there in a chunk teaches them that these things go together. It's very easy for kids to get distracted when they're young because they're not automatically queuing up the next task. So if we create lists, now we don't give them as many opportunities to disappear and get distracted. Mm -hmm. Now, how about the practicing forward thinking? Are there ways we can talk to our kids to help promote that part of it? Or is that more about you're teaching them the little mini routines and all that so then they can anticipate what needs to come next? Talk, Talk to me more about that. So by the time a child is two or three, they're starting to be able to process forward thinking, thinking ahead. They can't do it independently. But for example, I might say, hey, do you want to go to the beach tomorrow? Now they like the beach and they're going to say yes. And I might then say a forward thinking question like, what should we bring? And they might name a shovel. Great, a shovel. Well, if we are digging the sand, where, where will we put it? 
Oh, we should bring a bucket too. Well, that's great. We'll bring a shovel and bucket and we'll both go naked to the beach. And, and, <laughs> and, and, and then, you know, they'll laugh and we'll, they'll say, no, we need a swimsuit. Great. And I think we should get a towel too. So we're not cold. And we talk through situations by thinking forward of thinking what it's going to be like. When your friend comes over, what do you want to play? I don't know. And we talk through that discussion of what they might like to play. What are some options? What if your friend doesn't want to play that? Because it helps them think ahead. And we can start doing that at two, three, four, five, all the way through college. We continue having those discussions about what if, what do you think, what would you do? Mm -hmm. I think it helps so much too, especially I live in a wet weather climate. So a lot of times our plans get a little bit thwarted by Mm -hmm. forces that are outside of our control. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. I use that a lot for, so we're going to go to the park and what if it rains? Will we need our jacket? If we need to do something else, where might we go (laughs) if it storms us out, you know? And I find that reduces frustration for my kids too, if it doesn't go their way. They've already kind of thought, not every single time, but a lot of times of like contingency plan or they've understood that it might not all be perfect. And I think that's great. Teachers know (laughs) that forward thinking is important too. And so what they do by the time you're in first grade, they're talking about estimating and we start rounding off as we get into be second grade, rounding off numbers. So we're making estimates. We're starting to figure out how things work. And you can practice estimating at home. So I might, with a second grader, say, how long do you think it's going to take for us to get to grandma's house? And they would say, I don't know. And I say, well, haven't we gone to grandma's house before? Yes. And, well, how long does it take? I don't know. Well, is it longer than a TV show? No. Okay, how long is a TV show? About, well, in our house, it's 22 minutes if you tape it and, and don't watch commercials. Mm-hmm. About 22 minutes, great. So is it, how long do you think it's going to take to grandma's house, get to grandma's house? Less than 22 minutes, good. Where we're, we're, the process that our brain does automatically, sometimes we need to walk through with kids, whether it's planning or anticipating or estimating. Yeah, so that that way they can kind of anticipate what's happening. No, I love that. Now, one thing I want to ask you, because I feel like if other moms are like me, that sometimes when I receive this type of information about the things that I need to do, I start extrapolating that out to things like I need my house to be perfectly clean, or I need it to be that like my kids can pick up all their items every single, you know, that my children's rooms are perfectly well kept and that they have everything in the places that they're supposed to be at all times. But I have heard you say something that is not quite that. That's more like they need to be able to do it, but it doesn't have to be 100% clean at all times. Is that fair? It doesn't have to be like perfectly Marie Kondo'd at all times? I think there's a, <laughs> there's a few factors at play here. I think they need to know that every task has a beginning, a middle, and an end. That's a sequence. So we introduce order. So if we have a beginning, a middle, and an end, we take out a toy, we play with a toy, we put away, put away the toy. But we can't always be there to coach them. And their rooms are going to get messy, and they're going to spill food, and they're going to drop things, and that's okay. And when they're young, we do really model, let's put things away and and finish. But as they get older and they start asserting their independence, making sure their room is perfect is not a battle that's worth fighting. There's a lot more big picture, important battles in your child's life, like kindness and sharing and helping, that are much more important than their room having everything in place. So, Yeah, absolutely. The most important thing in those situations are 
Do they know how to clean their room? Can they clean their room when grandma's coming over to visit? Is there food rotting in their bedroom? Because that's not acceptable. So right. there, there are certain things that are requirements, and you can be really consistent with those requirements. Is everything off the floor if you have a cleaner coming over who's going to vacuum? Is everything off the floor so I can vacuum on Friday? Those kind of rules you can be very consistent about. But how they want to keep their personal space, that's probably not the most important battle of parenting. Yeah, definitely. Because I always want to just bring it back to what are the important things? <laughs> what are the important messages from this? Which I think in talking with you really is about giving our kids the skills early on, teaching them the steps of how to think in an organized way so that as they get older, that's just innate to them. And then they can almost take that off their plate and go further now with executing based off their organization skills that they already have. They're not still struggling to learn those basic skills when they're a lot older. Absolutely. And remember, this is a parenting book. And so, you know, by doing these things consistently, it becomes innate to the parent. So that when my child is 13 and they're they're asking, can I stay out till 11 or till 12? We fall back on these five steps. Well, consistency, our rule for you is that you have to be home by 10 o'clock. And I'm going to consistently enforce it. Unless you can come to me with a reason why this is such a great exception that it's worth breaking the rules of our house, we probably should stay with 10 o'clock. Yes, absolutely. I love it. I love it. Dr. Corb, thank you so much for joining me. I really, really appreciate it. Will you tell listeners where they can find you online and where they can find your book? Absolutely. Yeah. So the book is available anywhere. You could go to Amazon, you can go to Barnes and Noble, you can, any of the bookstores ought to have it or certainly can order it. And you can follow the things that we're preaching in these books at Organized Child on Twitter and Facebook. So at Organized Child, or you can follow me at Dr. Corb, D-R-K-O-R-B. And then our website is RaisingAnOrganizedChild.com, where you can learn more about these organizational tips. Awesome. That's perfect. And in the show notes, I'll put all of those links so you guys can find Dr. Korb, get more information, more specifics, read the book. Again, thank you so much for coming on to the show. Super valuable information that I know will change the lives of moms and their kids. Yep. This was fun. And I hope everyone gets to listen. Nice talking to you. Thanks so much. Hey, 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 if you loved this episode, make sure to subscribe to the Modern Mommy Doc podcast so you're automatically notified every time we have powerful information, inspiration, and amazing guests to share with you. We would also be so honored if you shared the Modern Mommy Doc podcast with your friends by snapping a screenshot of this episode and posting it with hashtag Modern Mommy Doc so we can spread the word and help more mamas win at parenting without losing themselves. Thanks for being part of our community.